1: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. Eighteen plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Welcome back to A Pot of Their Own. This is episode 81 of A Pot of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Cirovich. Hi, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Kellyanne Healy. Hello, Kellyanne.
0: Hello, Allison. Hello, Linda.
4: Hello. And we are also joined this week by a guest host, Amazing Avenue's own Grace Carbone. Hi, Grace.
2: Hi, Allison.
0: Woo. Um. Hello, Grace. Hello. <laughs> Welcome.
2: Thank
4: Yay. you. We finally have another um, Amazing Avenue guest. It's It's been a while. It's been the four of us for so long. Um, have we ever
3: had another Amazing Avenue guest?
4: Well, no, not really. I mean, we've had Kate Feldman on the show, who is formerly That's of true. Amazing Avenue, but she's not currently of Amazing Avenue, so... Um, but yeah, very exciting. Um, so we had Grace on uh, to talk about movies and we will do that because Grace is our resident movie buff. We're going to talk Oscars just for funsies, talk about our favorite baseball films because it's Oscar season. Um, but we, and we wanted to really only do that, but of course, like the world just keeps happening and the Mets keep being shitty. So we have to talk about sexual (laughs) harassment again. It's the sexual harassment podcast. Um, So we will talk about that first. Um, So more details have emerged um, about the Mets toxic culture um, beyond just Mickey Calloway and Jared Porter um, per reporting in The Athletic. Um, I won't like read the entire piece, but I'll just give you some uh, highlights. The big, the big quote that was in like the, subheading was uh we were all pawns in this toxic workplace so it's not just porter and callaway um there were others namely joe devito who's the executive producer for content and marketing and we already knew about ryan ellis who's the former hitting uh performance coordinator both of those men have in the past made sexual comments and sent various inappropriate text messages um they quoted a bunch of them throughout the piece but um some of the highlights (laughs) lowlights if you will are um at least i'm not as Creepy as Mickey hashtag goals. That one was my my favorite, and I put like large air quotes around favorite because it's like Jesus Christ. Even the team knows that Mickey is creepy, and it's literally a running gag with these other men who are doing the same shit. Um, and dick pick Mick, dick pick Mick. Um, and then the other one that I quoted here is I've barely hit on you, so that counts for something. So literally, they oh. know
3: the bar is in Hades,
4: and they're oh. out here just like flaunting it. Which is, but
3: yet, like none of the higher ups knew about Milky Mickey Calaway. They were completely shocked when the report came out. That's bullshit.
4: Yeah, I think we've
0: established. I very, I very rarely swear on this show, but it's bullshit.
4: I think we've now established that you know. Sandy Alderson, I mean, like the timing of it when the Mickey Cowboy stuff came out, the timing of it was such that the team claims that it became aware of the Mickey Coway stuff, like right after Sandy Alderson started his chemotherapy treatments and was on a leave of absence. And so like at that point, it's kind of Sandy Alderson's word against, you know, against everybody else. But well,
0: but it's not, though, because if you go back to 2015 and with Lee Caster, Castor, I'm going to pronounce your name incorrectly, Castergean. Yeah, and um, the whole um settlement over um, Will Pond kind of harassing her over her pregnancy, and then the resigning of Jose Reyes in 2016. And like Sandy Alderson said to that, I'm quoting from an article from The Guardian trying to put aside issues of performance and talent, which is sort of the bottom line, what this is about. We have done everything we can to consider other issues and make ourselves comfortable that Jose understands the mistake he made and has taken responsibility for it. Cool. That was uh, 2016. 5 we, years later.
2: Are we trying to uh, say that a old white guy is trying to protect other guys like other <laughs> other especially like old white guys? I just don't see that happening. That seems shocking. extremely shocking. I'm literally I can't believe that. <laughs> Shocker.
4: Um, perhaps the, um, the most, you know, um, Notorious. The person who's been named most in this new athletic article is David Newman, who's chief of marketing, and he's uh, Joe DeVito's boss. Um, So there was a lot in this athletic piece about how he created a toxic work environment. Um, He made various inappropriate comments to female employees during his first stint with the Mets, which lasted from 2005 to 2018, including comments about their makeup, how they were dressed, their hair, etc. There was one woman who he said would never be successful in the job because of how she worked her hair um and there was you know there was one woman um who claimed that he discriminated against her on the basis of her pregnancy. So again, the same sort of theme again and he said that she, quote, hasn't been the same since she had kids um, and made various other inappropriate comments during meetings and things like that. Um, So when Alderson was due to bring Newman back under the new regime, um, when word spread that he was bringing him back, these two of these women spoke up and went to Alderson with these complaints and he essentially ignored them. Um, He said that he would he would tell newman to quote knock it off and that's about the best he would uh do and one of the women said quote it was deflating and deflating is a really good word for it because that's how i felt reading this entire goddamn article (laughs)
3: well and the other thing to me that also stuck out was what's her name holly Lindfall, i think yep was the head of hr a woman and everybody said they couldn't go to her um, because she was in charge of promotions and salaries and raises, and they said if you complained, like she, like you wouldn't get a promotion or a raise. And because she was tight with Chef upon, so it's the the whole system was built to protect the men in charge. It wasn't there was no recourse for these women, even a woman in charge. They couldn't even go to her. Like, what, they, they called her Regina?
4: Regina George. She was compared to yes. Regina George from Mean Girls. A quote from one former employee. She was not liked. She was feared. So, yeah. I think that this speaks to... This this aspect of this piece is really important because it speaks to how women can uphold these systems too if they benefit from them. So as long as you are a woman who's in proximity, in a position to power, or in proximity to power, you will absolutely uphold the system that got you there. Every time.
3: Luba. (coughs) Rachel Luba. (laughs)
0: dang nabbit i thought we would never have to mention her name again
3: but it's the
4: same sort of stuff right like <sighs> it's the it's yeah. the pick me girls who always end up in these positions of power you know uh this this hr woman willing to protect ownership because she's friends with jeff lopon <laughs> like the you know, cool
0: girl i think was the reference yeah linda made guys, that reference. I, I, I have not watched gone girl so
3: <laughs> it's you can it's read the perfect.
0: book I didn't read the book. I, sh- I know I probably should, but it's going to be way down on my book list. I have literally thousands of books to read before it. You should watch the movie. Oh, I don't have time to watch the movie. I have to read my
3: thousands of books.
0: <laughs> the movie well... and the book are both good. I have seen both. I have seen the
4: movie and read the book, and they are both good.
3: Wasn't there controversy over Ben Affleck wearing like a Mets hat or something? Yeah, or that? yeah. So that was um, David Fincher
2: who directed it, wanted him to be wearing a Yankees hat during the scene. And Ben Affleck, being from Boston, refused. (laughs) Very, very strongly refused to wear the Yankees hat. And so that shut down production for, I believe, a day? Maybe a decade Oh, my God. (laughs) It was the stalemate. And then finally, like, (laughs) production assistant said, hey, guys, why don't you just have Ben wear the Mets hat? It's kind of the in-between here. And both sides were like, fine so that's
0: how that appeared in the film
4: i respect so the,
0: the were like switzerland <laughs> seriously ben affleck you're an actor it I doesn't respect mean the you're suddenly a
3: no, i respect him for taking his stand i respect that he I was wouldn't... coming at
2: it from the point of view that like, up, people man. were gonna people were gonna like harass him about it
4: i mean yeah the, if there's yeah. one thing you have in this life it's your rep
2: so, but to be fair, he also now has been seen throwing out a gigantic cardboard cutout of Anna de Armas. So, I don't know where the
3: reputation he really wanted to uphold it's was. It's true,
4: it's true, it's a whole meme now.
3: Yeah, um, wasn't it his brother who was throwing it out? Well, confirmed, but
2: it did look like him.
4: <laughs> Perfect. So many layers, there's so many layers. Um, so Uh, The other the other like big aspect of this article, other than all the troubling details about what these shitty men in the Mets front office have done is, um, you know, Sandy Alderson's response to it, because The Athletic asked Sandy Alderson about all this. And I'm going to this is the one quote I'm going to read in full, because I think that it deserves the full impact of it deserves to be felt. So in an interview with The Athletic, Sandy Alderson said, quote, Let me try to make a point as strongly as I can, okay? Not every instance involving men, women in the workplace is a capital offense, okay? Every time something happens, it doesn't mean somebody has to be fired. There are a lot of intermediate steps that can be taken, and we've done that in a variety of different cases, and have included capital punishment as a consequence in some cases. But not every case rises to the level of execution. And that's what I... Honestly, honestly, I think is happening with these articles. People are getting executed, including women, by the way, for reasons that are unjustifiable. So he's out here comparing
0: executing um, a man losing
4: his job and a man like facing one one parentheses one consequence in his life for something that he has done to a public execution He's he's literally acting like a man facing a consequence for sexual harassment is the same as facing a firing squad at dawn.
2: It like, are death. you serious right now? I'm oh <laughs> gonna. I yeah. want to make my Ben Affleck Boston Red Sox hat stand here and say that <laughs> every time something like this happens, I think somebody should be fired. That's gonna be my stand. Here.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> Seems but reasonable I mean, to me. Like it just to me it. Uh, we saw a like a layer of this back in 2016 with Jose Reyes. Like that's the incident I kept coming back to. This isn't something that's new. This is something that he has accepted that he has been complacent and complicit in. Um, And we discussed this a little bit, but like, just, this is what he's used to. He doesn't know anything different because, because this is the environment that he was raised in he's used to and to have that challenge is something entirely new for him and something he's obviously not comfortable with. And won't take responsibility for.
4: That's exactly it. I mean, there's a reason he's acting so defensively here and it's because he does, he truly does not see what is wrong here because that is what all of these front offices are like. The Mets are the ones that are in the spotlight right now and they deserve every bit of being in the spotlight because clearly the culture is rotten from the inside out. And just having a new owner is not going to change that. They need to actively change it. That said,
0: especially, especially when that owner has a workplace that's also been accused of sexual harassment.
4: Correct. That said, this isn't just a Mets problem or just a baseball problem. And it's abundantly clear that Sandy Alderson thinks this shit is normal. And he's been in. And why shouldn't we take him at his word? He's been in baseball for many, many years and in more front offices than just the Mets front office. And that's why he doesn't really get why people are so upset, because he thinks this is normal, because he's seen it well, in every place he's been.
3: Well, and also, you know, it's that type of like inflammatory language, too, that like, I don't want to say like cheapens the whole thing, but it's basically like how we get crap every time we say um, a player shouldn't be allowed to play when they've been accused of domestic violence like we're not saying they should be in jail like everybody assumes that's what we mean when we say it because everybody immediately takes everything to like the nth degree like there's shades here like yeah. your employer can fire you without it being a public execution like that's called facing consequences exactly. it's not getting your life ruined like these dudes who commit domestic violence are going to be fine. Like, they're going to go on with their lives. Even if they don't play baseball again, they're going to be fine. And it's kind of that same, like, by raising it to, like, such a ridiculous degree, then how can anybody take it seriously?
4: This isn't a court of law. It's a front office of a baseball team. Like, come on. But that's
3: That's the whole point. By raising it to
0: this extreme degree, you're also dismissing it and letting people not um, trying to... Diminish the point and dismiss the point. Yeah. but and like go I have to I keep going back to Jose Reyes just because I mean, he's such a staggering example. He basically threw a tantrum in two thousand and fifteen when he was playing for the Rockies, and then both the Mets and the Blue Jays went to the playoffs that year. He um, choked his wife and and threw her into a glass door that I believe December was suspended for fifty one games and then was released by the Rockies with his almost $50 million salary still to be paid out, and then he was re-signed by the Mets. So the consequences for him were very minimal. He was DFA'd by one team, not DFA'd, released, I'm sorry, but didn't lose any salary. The Rockies chose to release him and eat that money, which to me, that much money... Is just very telling that they still released him. And then he was re-signed by the vets By like, Sandy Alderson. By Sandy Alderson. Just like, I don't, I think it was like maybe a month or two later. Yep. I don't think, he, I don't think even that.
4: Yep. And the, the, the very last line of the article is Sandy Alderson saying, is there ever a statute of limitations on coverage of some of this stuff? Well, no,
3: no, <laughs>
4: not until something is done. Never coverage Unless it
0: changes. It. No, it needs to be called out. I mean, everybody's so used to this, like, and when it's challenged, it's just like, this is the way things have been. This is the way things work. And no, that's not how it works. And that's, this is the time to call it out. This is the time to see what it is. And, oh my God, I messed up what I was going to say there. Call it out for what it is and change it.
4: Right. It needs to change. And I just I got really frustrated when I saw like the immediate reaction from a lot of people on this being like, oh, the Wilpon Mets, everybody, because we can't keep just chalking this up to the Wilpons. Obviously, the Wilpons were shitty. We're all glad they're gone. But this isn't just a Wilpon problem. And as long as Sandy Alderson is team president, it means nothing. Like S- Steve Cohen's promise of change means nothing as long as Sandy Alderson is in his post, because San- this all happened under Sandy's watch.
3: <laughs> yeah, honestly, Sandy's the common thread, not the Will
4: Right, correct. And so Sandy has to go at this point. And like it, it sucks. Like it doesn't make me happy to say that. Like I wish this was wasn't true. But it is. He needs to go. And Cohen needs to put his money where his mouth is, his literal billions of dollars where his mouth is, and get rid of Sandy Alderson and do a little bit more than just having this law firm like vaguely investigate. I want to know like what they're doing, what their conclusions are, and what you're doing about it. I want to know that they're not just there to protect you from lawsuit.
3: Well, and also look at their front office. What changed? It's,
4: it's all a bunch of white dude. dudes.
3: It's the same What well, It's like, you know, they're all interchangeable white dudes. But these white dudes
2: are really good. Really <laughs> oh, good. these white guys go? They're... Where are we going to find other white guys like that? Really them? smart Ugh. white guys. Where are we going to find them all? Yeah, <laughs> it's not like we can just walk into Harvard and find like hundreds of them. Right.
0: Oh, good Come God.
3: on. Like, it's oh, just... my mistake. My mistake. <laughs> but so that's but the thing, the, right? Here's what
4: I think. Sandy Alderson's just, I mean, like, I hate to say, like, Sandy Alderson needs to go. Unequivocally, he needs to go. But he's just going to be replaced by, like, Theo Epstein, who's the exact same thing. Like, the Porter stuff all happened on Epstein's watch with the Cubs. And that, like, that's the type of dude that's going to replace Sandy Alderson if if and when, if he's ever fired, which I don't think, I actually don't think Sandy Alderson's going to be fired for this. I think he might step down at the end of the season. No,
0: I... I was going to say, no, he's not going to be fired. He's going to probably quietly resign or retire at the end of this year. That is my prediction.
4: Yeah, I, I think that's what's likely. But like the, his replacement's going to be another one of these dudes who's the exact same as him.
0: <laughs> we'll see. Maybe Cohen will put some substance behind this law firm and in this investigation. And I don't know. Maybe I'm being way too optimistic.
2: Yeah, I'm not holding my breath. Because, like, what, but, what person I
4: mean, just, out just, there just, can just, be team president who has those qualifications who's not existing in baseball and an old white guy?
3: Well, they said he did make some changes to his hedge fund, like he gave them, like, paternity leave and... He, he did do some things, but I don't know. I, I get the wanting to be like, oh wow, that's really good. But at
2: the same time, congratulations. You gave them what they should have had. Yeah, yeah the, bare you did the bare minimum. Like, <laughs> like you were you were at shit and then you went to slightly less shit. Is it really <laughs> the best optics? Yeah, exactly. Like if I were to punch you in the stomach and then said, actually now I'm just gonna punch you in the arm four times. i guess it doesn't hurt as much but like still you're hitting me a lot i would
4: say thank you mr carwin sir thank you for not punching me in the stomach (laughs) thank you you're a god you're the savior of the
0: franchise (laughs) thank you uncle steve
4: (laughs) thank you uncle stevie
0: (laughs) hedge funds are just an entirely different animal altogether
4: yeah i mean like yeah and and I Best. said this I said this on Twitter recently, which is like the people who rush to defend guys like Alderson because of like something something integrity he's always been good history, something history respect yeah like it's it, that always is like you telling on yourself to me because it means that you see yourself in these front office dudes and that's not the good thing that you think it is. <laughs>
2: If I try really hard, I could make fourteen billion dollars too. Yeah. <laughs> if I just really if dream. I dream. <laughs> if
3: I
4: really hard. If I if I grind away at my fan graph <laughs> spreadsheets hard <laughs> enough, <laughs> I could be at a corner office in the Mets front office doing dollars per war and telling and telling us all that Francisco Lindor does not deserve three hundred forty million dollars. <laughs> That's the dream. That's the dream, folks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. But, yeah, I mean, not going to not gonna waste too much time on this, but that's that's the latest with the Mets, who are currently losing to the Cubs, so we won't even go into it. I mean, they did play well really last bad. week, but we won't go into the actual play of the New York Mets at this time. There's plenty of other podcasts for that.
3: Oh, because fucking Sogard was in the middle of it again. Of course. Of course. Very good because um, he
2: doesn't have the vaccination weighing him down.
3: Yeah, That's true. That's true. <laughs> the he, 5G isn't he, like, you know, messing with his batting stuff.
4: He doesn't have a microchip, so he's able to perform better. These are facts.
0: It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane,
1: so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say? 18 plus
4: so but let's let's cover something a lot more happy than the Mets sexual harassment let's talk about films and let's talk about Whee! the oscars um so before we go into kind of like our f- picks for the major awards or like who the favorites are grace tell us about your personal favorite films this year and your favorite performances
2: Okay, so I feel like every year you get you get a lot of people, especially I'm on like there's Mets Twitter, which we all know is kind of a cesspool at times. Then there's film Twitter, which is also a very big cesspool a lot of times. <laughs> so, oh no! Yeah. So um, I mean, any echo chamber is. Um, but like, I feel like a lot of the times you'll hear from people who are not seeing as many movies who will say, "Oh, this movie wasn't this year wasn't as good for movies or whatever." And to that, I say, "Well, you're never really looking at the right movies, right?" Um, because these, a lot of the people who say that see like three movies that come out in a year and they're usually the Marvel movies, the, any big blockbuster. And they're like, well, Transformers seven wasn't that good. So this year obviously <laughs> wasn't a good year for movies. Um, this year, I feel like a lot of people have been saying that because of the pandemic and the fact that a lot of stuff that was supposed to come out got pushed back, got, you know, shifted around anything like that. But this year genuinely was really good. If you really knew where to look. So some of my favorite films from this year. Um, I loved my favorite film of the year. And it was a late breaker for the title. Promising Young Woman. Yeah. I loved that movie so much. I just blew my mind. Every aspect of it I thought was amazing. Carrie Mulligan is great. The entire cast is just the best ensemble of the year. It's just every single person they found is perfect in it. Um, Also, this year we got two Spike Lee films, which is always a joy. Uh, He did Defy Bloods, which, amazing, amazing film, one of Chadwick Boseman's last performances, um, and he's great in it. And then he also directed a filmed performance of David Byrne's Broadway show, American Utopia. And I saw the show on Broadway, and I loved it, because I love David Byrne. And then I saw the the filmed recording of it. And this year we got quite a few filmed recordings of Broadway shows and Hamilton was the big one. Everyone loved Hamilton. I love Hamilton, but I thought American utopia was better made in terms of being a film. Like it felt like a film as well as being a filmed production where they would shoot from behind the stage and everything like that. Spike Lee knows how to work a camera. Like that's just what's going on. Um, The Oscar nominees this year, you've got Nomadland, Minari, Sound of Metal, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is technically a 2021 release, I just want to say. It did come out this year, but they shifted all the dates around, so everything got weird. Um, Chadwick Boseman was great in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, Underrated for me this year, you've got Palm Springs, which was really, really a lovely film. Bad Education, starring Hugh Jackman as someone from Long Island. That movie made me very happy. (laughs) I thought it was really, it was fun to watch it and be like, oh, I know where that place is. Oh, I know where that place is. Um, Happiest Season is one that hit every single, like, niche that I like. It's about Christmas, stars Kristen Stewart, it's gay. It's just all of my favorite things. Um, And then this year was also really good for films directed by women, that, you know, Promising Young Woman, Nomad Land, Happiest Season. Um, and then you have stuff like Kajillionaire, Never Really, Sometimes Always. Boy State was uh, one of the directors, was a woman. The half of it, The Assistant, surely. There's a lot of really good stuff to find this year. So, yeah, this is a really good year. This Sorry first, if I
4: rambled. And no, no, absolutely. It's the <laughs> first year two women w- have been nominated for Best Director at once, right? Yes.
2: Yes. So, when that, I, I'm, I loved. I love waking up and watching the uh, the nominations as they happen live. I actually, um, I oh, I overslept this year, which was really upsetting to me. So I woke up and the nominations had already come out. So I didn't oh, look no. at my phone at all. I went onto YouTube. I watched the whole thing. When I saw that Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell were nominated in Best Director, a hundred percent honesty, I started to cry. It was, such, it was such a moment for me. I remember, I mean, Catherine Bigelow is the only woman to have ever won Best Director in 93 years of Academy history. And we'll get to this later on, but I do think that this year there will be a second. Um, and just to, just to see that, I remember when Ava DuVernay made Selma, and I loved Selma. I thought it was such an amazing film. And I was like, well, she's got to get nominated. Like, everyone was like, yeah, she's going to get nominated. And then she wasn't, and I was heartbroken, especially since I think the guy who directed The Imitation Game got nominated, which is... Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a very, very bland film, to put it lightly. Like, it's not... In terms of the direction that De- Ava DuVernay put into that film, where she's going out there and she's recreating the march across the, the um, Edmund Pettus Bridge, and you're watching these people get sprayed down with fire hoses. She's recreating the Binghamton church bombing where four little girls were killed, and it's such effective filmmaking and when you think about the fact that here's a fun fact, if you've seen Selma and you've seen the speeches that David Oyelowo gives as Martin Luther King you're thinking, wow he's really good as Martin Luther King those speeches aren't real Martin Luther King speeches. Steven Spielberg bought the rights to all of Martin Luther King's speeches pretty much like his big speeches, so Ava DuVernay couldn't use them. So she went studied all of Luther King's, Dr. Luther King's Speeches and then wrote speeches that would sound like something he would give.
4: That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, That's, amazing. That's
2: incredible. Yeah. So the amount of work she put into that to see it literally, I think that that film got two nominations and it was Best Song and Best Picture. And I remember at the time being like, how are you nominating this film for Best Picture when you're saying the only thing it is in the top five of other than Picture is Song? Song. Right. And the Ridiculous. song's great. I love the song. But you're telling me you're not nominating David Oyelowo, you're not nominating Dune Verne for directing or for writing, you're not nominating this film for these sorts of things, and instead you're giving it to films like The Imitation Game, which again, if you like it, that's great, it's kind of a bland film in comparison.
4: I liked Imitation Game because I'm a Benedict Cumberbatch stan, but I admit that it's just, it's very, like, you know, it's just, it it was fine. It's a movie, it was good, I enjoyed watching it, but it's not anything special.
2: Yeah, if you want to see, so if you want to see a good Benedict Cumberbatch performance, I'm not a huge Benedict Cumberbatch person, I have to be in the right mood. um, But he just, a movie of his just came out, I think it's on, I think it's on video on demand, I think I got a screener for it somehow, but it's called The Courier. And it's huh. like a Cold War. He's he's basically a businessman that goes back and forth from Russia to sort of take the notes from the spy who's giving uh, information to the British and American governments about like potential bombings and stuff like that. It was really well done. He's also in The Mauritanian, which I really, really liked, but I didn't, I, I liked him in it, but it took a minute to get used to because as soon as you see him, you're like, oh, this is Benedict Cumberbatch. He's a British actor. And then he goes into this, Almost Blanche Dubois southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. What it's very doing?
4: jarring, I imagine, with yeah, his and face. It's like,
2: I was like, I was like, if it was just a little bit toned down, it probably wouldn't have been as jarring, but it was literally like, I do so rely on the canvas. <laughs> is this good as Daniel
3: Craig's southern accent? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the thing
2: is, Thives Out is supposed to be funny so you can take it as like outlandish. The Mauritanian is about a man being held to Gitmo. It is not oh. funny.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I love Daniel Craig in Knives Out. So oh, much. he's great
2: in Knives Out, and now Knives, he's making was a mucho, mucho buck for uh, the two sequels. Yep, yep. I will I... watch all the sequels. I
4: am so glad that you um, that you loved Promising Young Woman, and I love Promising Young Woman. That was my favorite movie of this year by far. Um, I haven't seen all the um, all the uh, nominees for Best Picture, but I've seen I think at least the majority, if not almost all of them. And Promising Young Woman was my favorite by a lot. Um, I loved that movie so much. I just want I just want to give Carrie Mulligan all the Oscars and just
2: <laughs> ugh, it was I mean- so good. I would give Carey Mulligan all the Oscars for pretty much her entire career. I just watched Wildlife because I was like, I saw so a promising young woman, she's really good. Let me let me watch. I, I've owned this on Blu-ray for a little bit. Let me watch it. And I put it on. I was like, how is she real? How can she do everything that she does in her career and just be so good at everything? So watch Wildlife. Wildlife. Good to know. It's her Jake Gyllenhaal and it's directed by Paul Dano.
3: Like she was also perfect as Daisy and Gatsby,
2: too, yeah, I didn't like the Great Gatsby, but her and Leonardo DiCaprio are perfect yeah they were perfect. yeah yes, I wish the rest of the movie was better because they were so good in it. The
4: casting was perfect. yeah, yeah um I my other my other favorite movie of this year that I saw was one night in Miami, which I'm sad that didn't get nominated because I thought it was really good. um yeah. It was it was interesting because I saw I saw it like very soon after Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and they're both plays adapted to film. And I loved Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for the acting, but I actually didn't think it was like it adapted well. I didn't think that the the play adapted well to film. And I think I would have enjoyed the viewing experience more if I had seen it as a stage play as it's meant to be seen. Um, but I didn't feel that way about One Night in Miami for some reason, even though it's also a stage play. Um I don't know why, but I I felt the adaptation was better, even though the acting in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was incredible. Viola Davis is obviously a queen and Chadwick Boseman acted his ass off in it. um, He's probably going to get the Oscar for that.
2: Um, Yeah, I'm really hoping he I mean, would. Here's my thing. I love Chadwick Boseman in that movie and I love him as a whole. If I had an Oscar ballot, I'd probably vote for him. But I do think that the best performance by a lead actor this year was Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal.
4: Oh, he was so good. I I saw was, Sound of Metal and he was incredible
2: in it. It's it's such a good field this year. Like it genuinely if any of the five men nominated, uh, you know, Chadwick, Anthony Hopkins, Riz Ahmed, Stephen Yun, and Gary Oldman if any of them won, I wouldn't be upset. I don't think Gary Oldman has a chance in hell and unfortunately I don't think Stephen Yun does either, but like if any of them won, if I'd be like, yeah, Yeah, totally. I'm into it. This year's really good. I will say that this year's Oscars is one of my favorites since I've really gotten into it.
4: Imagine, like, a field and there's Gary Oldman in it and he doesn't have a chance in hell. It's incredible.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, up until... Up until Darkest Hour, he had only been nominated once in his entire career, which is crazy to me because he's so yeah, and good. He, it was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and then he got nominated for Darkest Hour, and now this is this is almost because Mank was Mank was beloved as like a um, sort of a tech piece. You know, the cinematography is great; it's very flashy in terms of recreating old Hollywood. Um, but if I completely lost where my train of thought was on that because I just I just rewatched *Mank* and I think Amanda Seyfried is actually the best part of that movie.
4: She's so good in it. Yeah, she is
2: ridiculously good. I would like to point out that now two of the four, if you're including Katie, um, Plastics have been nominated for Oscars, which is wild. And if, La- if Lacey Chabert ever did anything other than Hallmark movies, she might get there too. <laughs>
4: yeah it's so true i i i I will admit that i only watched the first was it half of mank i like it was i think i can't remember it was the night i was recording the podcast or was doing something else but michael put it on and i watched like the first half of it and then i bailed because i had something else to do but i also was not super into it but it's very much like not my type of movie but i appreciated the acting a whole lot in it
2: it's a film nerd movie
3: like i
2: (laughs) i watch it and i'm like oh i know all this i know who this person is i know what that is like i'm i'm watching and i'm like oh yeah i love this i love that sort of stuff The you know i watch all sorts of documentaries about old hollywood there's an mgm documentary that's six hours long and i've seen it probably a hundred times it never changes it's it was stopped in 1994 there's no new information in this thing (laughs) but it's just nice to like watch it and be like oh i like old hollywood um
4: th- my dad and i my dad's a huge film buff and my dad and i were talking this morning about um about the oscars and how and i i am a big big animated film person i love animated mm-hmm. films and it's interesting because this year's the animated film field i feel is like weaker than usual um in comparison to the to the rest of the field which i agree is very strong um i i i saw soul which i think is going to win um it was fantastic um i saw um Um, Wolf Walker, which was really great. Um, I I wish that had gotten more attention because that that film was beautiful. Um, The animation was gorgeous. um, And I really enjoyed it. Um, And I think Onward is nominated. And then those are the only three I had seen. Um, The other two I've not seen.
2: Yeah, it's uh, one of the other two. I know Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon is nominated. Yes. Because that was a bit of a shock. Everyone thought that the, the Croods movie was going to... Th- that's the thing. This year's animated film field, weirdly, was very weak as a whole. Like, everyone had Onward, Soul, Wolfwalkers penciled in. And then I genuinely can't remember what the fifth nominee is. It's the
4: is. one about the the astronaut the um, who wants oh, to over write... Over the Moon. Over the Moon that's
2: right that's right i think that one a lot of people had penciled into but there was like oh,
4: yeah yes. yeah oh, oh linda linda Jay-Z yes. just, hit
0: a solo homer. <laughs> just singers and we should also note that taiwan walker has been ejected from this game oh dear oh, um, yeah he was he, he was yeah he was ejected after he exited he was drawing, okay. he was drawing to the ump, and the ump ejected him, and he's sh- and Taiwan Walker was just like, okay, I'm mad at this game. So <laughs> whatever. This doesn't what do you really do you matter. matter. Oh because there God. were two there were two bad strike calls that were missed. I, I mean, see, I there was, the was a low strike.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, I did that that and then there was the bad low strike call, and then there was the next batter swung it, like just broke its t- strike three and it was called the ball. And it walked around yeah, and it was just
3: running. that. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, but
0: it's like, uh, that's just bad umpiring. You know. Um, Sorry. So yeah, <laughs> animated <laughs> films. Just Stingers did a good job. Good, good job, Mr. Just
3: Stingers. Man, I can't help it. <laughs> 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 Doug and Smith needs to do something with Grace on the podcast. I know, then yeah, we can have yeah. the full
4: brand going. Then we can yeah, have the full brand know. going. <laughs> um. But yeah, animated films, not super strong this year. But my dad also... didn't like Onward,
2: is that? like
3: I liked it, it but it was not as good as Soul. my favorite, like... Here's
2: the other other issue with the animated category at the Oscars, is that it came around in 2001, I believe, right? And so the first winner was Weirdly Shrek, um, which was up against Monsters Incorporated. Um which Monsters Incorporated, here's a fun fact that will tell you how young I am. That was the first movie I ever saw in the theater. Oh, my I God. Was, no. <laughs> I was three years old. Um Oh, no. uh, great. For me, that was Lion <laughs> King. Okay? Yeah. Um, but the thing is with that category is, um, here's another fun fact that I'm just viewing them. Shrek. Oh. Shrek and Shrek 2. This isn't age-related. Okay. Weirdly enough, The Cannes Film Festival, which is like really serious films premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. It's usually a lot of like foreign stuff. It's a French film festival. They're very serious. Shrek and Shrek 2 both made it into competition
0: there. Um, (laughs) Shrek is a good movie. (laughs) Shrek is a great movie. And I was going to say, Shrek, I was going to say, Shrek 2 is to me one of the few films, I think probably the only film where I thought the sequel was better than the original. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're both good. No, they're both excellent, but I just I liked Shrek 2 a little more. The
2: the thing is with the animated film category is that it, historically, um if you're a Disney or a Pixar film, they can pencil your name in. Like they're right. just you're going to win. There's a, almost yeah. never do you see them lose. Um I remember a few years ago, what was it? There was like an upset um that a that a Disney Pixar movie didn't when everyone was like, what the hell was it? Was it Coraline? The, um Maybe. That might be what I'm thinking of. Let, me, I,
4: in, Let me look. Yeah, Coraline is one like, of my favorites, like, favorite animated, like, non-Disney, non-Miyazaki animated films of all time. I love that movie. That
0: is one of the few Neil Gaiman books I have not read. Um, the, but there's, like, the Lego movie, Myst. At the office. I was so upset
2: that, about that. And like, that. there's no re- I'm especially still mad since about the that. song got nominated. Yes, there's what no is reason that? for that movie to miss. And like, if you look at the competition, you're like, you definitely could have penciled that movie in somewhere, and it probably was better than whatever the winner was that year. Yeah, um, it was so creative! The ending was such a twist. But any Disney movie that gets into that category, it wins. Like Disney or Pixar, it, usually that wins. You know what the upset is I'm thinking of? It's when Spider-Verse won.
4: Oh, that's yes. right. Which, I, yeah, it was that, deserved. That I
2: was just going to say, it was not Coraline. That was a very big, like, oh my god, they really went for this. And we were talking about One Night in Miami, they just announced that the what the writer of the play and the, the adaptation for the film, Kemp Powers, who also co-directed and wrote Soul, is now the co-director for uh, the new Spider-Verse film.
3: Oh, oh hell yeah! yeah.
2: So cool. it's gonna it's gonna
3: be a good one. When Spider Verse to... was very good. Yes. Yeah, what did that? What Disney movie did that beat out? Was it Moana? Um, no. So mo- the year of Moana,
2: Moana lost to Zootopia. Uh, oh, I love so Zootopia. it lost, yeah. I was gonna say it
0: lost to an in-house.
2: <laughs> yes, it was rivalry. Ray. Usually, if a Disney movie loses, it's to another Disney movie. Like, there's no. I'm gonna look up right now what Spider Verse beat because I remember it was. Best animated um, feature. But, yeah, so usually that category does go to um, the Disney movies. Also, if we're talking about animated features, only three times in history have animated films been nominated for best picture. Um, And only one of them did it when there wasn't an animated feature film category. Because the category came around in 2002. Yep. It's the first animated film ever nominated for Best Picture. That's my personal favorite Disney movie of all time. Mine
0: too. I saw that in the theater, Grace. Yes, I saw that in the theater as well, and I was too. Here's, here's a fun like, fact. We're two.
3: What? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I didn't watch, so as a kid, usually you do watch a whole lot of Disney movies, right? Yes. Until I was sixteen, I had only seen three Disney movies. Oh,
3: wow! And I'm wow. not counting
2: Pixar because, like, up until like 2007, they were kind of separate entities that worked together, but they weren't the same thing. Up until I was sixteen, I saw Snow White, Beauty and the Beast, and Lilo and Stitch. Lilo oh, and
4: Stitch rules.
3: God.
2: And wow. so, looking right now, Spider Verse beat Incredibles two oh, Isle yes. Isle of Dogs, Mirai and Ralph breaks the internet which are all great movies. <laughs> oh yeah. Um
4: not to say it wasn't deserved. Into the Spider-Verse was so good. Um Oh another another non Disney um animated film best best animated film winner that I'm going to shout out is one of my favorites of all time Kubo and the Two Strings is yes. the 2016 winner That it is It wasn't
2: the 2016 winner. It wasn't? <laughs> no, it lost to Zootopia. <laughs> it lost to Zootopia?
4: What the hell? Kubo and the oh, Two Strings uh, well it was nominated. Kubo oh, and the yes. Two Strings is amazing and one of my oh, favorites yes. ever.
2: I want to shout out one of my favorite non-Disney ones. A movie I saw in the theaters when I was young, Wallace and Gromit: The Curse of the Were Rabbit. Wallace, Ooh, and, Wallace Gromit rules. and Gromit is so good. It just the best. I haven't seen that movie, but I love Wallace and Gromit. That Ardman does no wrong in my book. Even their bad stuff is good.
4: I can't. I oh! I can't believe Kubo and the Two Strings didn't win. Anyway, did
2: Anastasia get nominated? Um, Anastasia, I believe, came out before the category was invented. Yes. Aww. So the was, first, Anastasia was
0: 1998.
2: Yeah, the first year was 2001. I'm looking at the nominees right now. It was Shrek, one, and the other two nominees. There were only three nominees that year. Were Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. <laughs> oh
0: Jesus, and, and, and
2: Monsters Inc.
4: <laughs> Yo, but the following year is is kind of is kind her. of a showdown of titans between spirited away and lilo and stitch and spirited away one and spirited away is you know like spirited away is like a top three favorite film for me of all time like not just animated like that is i love that movie oh I wallace think and gromit beat out howl's moving castle speaking of, yep. uh, <laughs> speaking of
2: uh, uh miyazaki <laughs> movies Um, And The Incredibles beat out Shark Tale, which stars Martin Scorsese.
4: Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) indeed. Oh, um, Kellyanne, the year that Coraline was nominated, Up was the winner. So, I mean. Yes,
0: I looked that up. There you go. (laughs) i caught up. Up.
2: I've looked that up. I want to share a controversial opinion right now that we're talking about Up. Do you not like Up? The first five minutes of Up are absolutely fantastic. Like, that's it. But I feel like a lot of people... Think that up is better than it is because
0: of those first five minutes.
3: I agree with yeah. that. It's a good movie. I, 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 good I movie. will not lie. I
0: have not gotten past that. That first segment, just well, because like, it made me cry so much. I have not watched awful. the rest of the movie to this day. Oh,
4: I was sobbing. I mean, the rest of it's oh. not sad at all, Kellyanne, so. No, yeah, it's not. It's an adventure. I know, I but it's, it's a good, little
0: it takes, it takes me a while to get past things if I, if I, like, am way too emotional. Like, I'm still not over The Rise of Skywalker, and it's been over a year.
2: I'm also not over The Rise of Skywalker because Ugh. I hated that movie so much. Me too. It was just. Awful. Oh,
4: Kellyanne has a year-long grudge
2: now
0: and will not watch I any didn't Star see Wars it content when it came
2: out in the theaters because I just was like, "This isn't going to be
0: good." I mean, I knew it wasn't going to live up to my expectations after the Last Jedi, which I love. Me too. I
3: just
0: love it. Um, and it. Honestly, it has some of the best. No, it has the best visuals to me of all nine movies. <sighs> just That's insane. Ryan Johnson. I love just him. Knocked out. And I said and I have sworn off like anything Disney until his trilogy is in development or I heard he's now rumored to direct an episode of The Mandalorian. Yeah, he is. So he needs to get back into the to the fold here and maybe I I'll start watching the his
3: Mandal- again. I
0: also wouldn't blame him if he didn't go back to doing Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, honestly I would not <laughs> Like...
2: The fact that people are still like, oh, I hate Ryan Johnson. The reason why a lot of people hate Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi is because it was like it was essentially did what like original Star Wars did was like it would sort of flip the script and be like, oh, you think that the hero is going to win here? He's not. He has to learn (laughs) that what he did was actually the dumb thing and that purple haired Laura
0: Dern was correct. Oh, my gosh. Also, like, he early on in that movie literally went against an order from General Leia Organa. Like, come on. And I love Oscar Isaac, but he has to learn his role. He's not beating Carrie Fisher. No, and that's the whole thing. Oscar Isaac really, really loved The Last Jedi. From what I've heard, he loved that that role, and he was really pissed how his character went in The Rise of Skywalker, which I don't blame him.
2: Yeah, it was... Oscar Isaac is just, like, a fun guy. Like, I love... He does, like, stuff, and I'm like, yeah, you're doing the right thing here. He has the world's best agent. I feel like there's actors who have the world's worst agent where they do just continuous crap. He's just consistently in good movies. Inside Lewin Davis. Um, I really could just stop there. But he's just ex machina. Just stuff like that. He's consistently doing these little movies that no one else would think to do, and then he turns around, and it's the
0: best thing ever
3: um before um, did we did not even... come through oh no
0: <laughs> no no one came through except for just dingers
3: yeah um they had a rally and it didn't go anywhere well
0: again there's still a whole chunk of this game left i think this is we now going into the fifth <laughs> no it's the sixth, it's the, sixth. Oh, oh, it is the
4: it's the bottom of the fifth now okay um Before we move on to picking like our our picks for the major categories, I would be I would be amiss if I didn't mention a film that my dad talked about in our conversation this morning. Um, He talked about the because my dad is a big uh, in addition to just being a film buff. Generally, his favorite category is always foreign film. And Mm -hmm. he said that his favorite film of this year was the uh, foreign film nominated uh, *Covetis Aida which I'm probably uh, butchering
2: um, yeah Covades Aida
4: yeah, which is um, and I'm seeing a I'm seeing a headline now when I googled it. Um, is the most is this year's most devastating urgent contender. Um, so it is it's a it's a it's a Bosnia and Herzegovina um film. Um, and it's about a UN translator. Um, during you know when the when it's crumbling when it, when Serbia is crumbling. Um, to save uh her family. So it's it's apparently really really good. Um, and you know it's my dad said he liked it even more than minari um as far as like uh non english language uh films although minari is not nominated in foreign film it's nominated
2: this Be, picture because it's yeah because it's not a it's not a it, so the thing is the category is no longer foreign language film to sort of remove that confusion it's now international feature right so because Enother is American. I, yes, Minari yes. is an inherently American film, much like The Farewell from uh, last, from 2019. They are inherently American films that just so happen to be primarily in another language. I am always bad at seeing foreign language films. Uh, it's just whatever I end up not catching them. They're usually hard to find a lot of the times because bigger chains don't carry them. You have to find the time to go to an independent f- film like f- uh, theater to see it. Um, but I will say that this year, one of my favorite foreign films, international features, was the Documentary Collective, which is about um, their what what country was it? It was I think it was Romania. And they had this big concert at this place. You know, it was like a club and they had a concert in there. Uh, yeah, it was Romania. They had a concert in there and pyrotechnics went off and lit the place on fire. Like people died. There were tons of injuries and stuff like that. And it's about this group of investigative journalists who are actually sports journalists who take it upon themselves to go in and find out what happened and sort of hold the government's feet to the fire. It is an amazing I'm a big journalism movie. I love movies that are like taking you through the steps that these that like journalists have to go through to, to get the true story and to, you know, tell people what's going on such an amazing film when you're watching it, it's happening in real time that these sports journalists are becoming invested like major national headline investigative journalists.
4: My dad also recommended that movie in our conversation yeah. too. So <laughs>
2: he's nailing all the, he's nailing all the highlights. Um, I just to bring this into, if we're going to start talking about picks, I don't think that I, collective isn't even nominated in that category. I don't think I believe it's just nominated in documentary, but I do think that the winner of international feature this year, will be the film also nominated for Best Director, and that's Another Round, starring Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Again, I'm bad at watching foreign films, but I have heard only good things about it.
3: I... Sorry. Check the, that. you need to check that.
4: Man, God. <laughs> The Bosnia-Herzegovina film is on Hulu, by the way, so if people are interested in watching that, that is actually a rare instance where it is accessible, but yeah, normally, yeah. foreign films, it's really hard to get your hands on them unless you, like, my my dad has, um, like, a MoMA subscription or something yeah. um, that he's able to, like, watch all these things, and I'm really jealous of it,
2: but... Um, mm-hmm. Really good this year about having a lot of these international features. They have Quovadasaya. Did they actually have? I'm looking right now. They have Collective. I know they have another round. So Hulu has a lot of the nominees this year. I know they have Nomadland. They have uh, United States versus Billy Holiday. They have a bunch of the nominees, just by virtue of a lot of these studios just said, "Well, we're going to put them out somewhere that people can see them." And Hulu's owned by Disney, so they have a lot of the searchlight uh, features on there as well.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um... As much as I would like Promising Young Woman to win Best Picture, I don't think it's what's going to happen. I don't know.
2: So, I don't know how deep we want me to go on my picks. I could do something for everything, but I'm going to guess we probably want to stay above the line with just your big categories, picture director, the acting. Um, I'm even going to throw in the screenplays. Throw in screenplay, please do. Um, So, I'm going to start from Adapted Screenplay and work my way up to the big stuff. Uh, Adapted Screenplay... I do think currently that the lead, like the the, the screenplay in the lead is Nomadland, but I would watch out for The Father and Borat, and I'm going to explain... The father probably isn't going to get much else. So they might, if they're going to spread everything around and Land's probably going to win quite a few awards, they're probably, they might say, okay, well, we'll vote for the father here. That does happen a lot, that they'll say, well, we'll we'll spread the love. And Borat had an unusually good showing. Everyone thought it was just going to get Maria Bakalova and Borat got nominated somehow in Adapted Screenplay. I think it showed up one other place. My, fu- my favorite thing with Borat subsequent movie film being nominated is that if it wins the name they have to say and the name that they have to inscribe on the little statue is for at subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to american regime for make benefit once glorious nation of kazakhstan so amazing that has to be written on the oscar amazing <laughs> um and then original screenplay it seems to be sort of a two horse race between promising young woman and the trial of the chicago 7 i I do think Promising Young Woman is going to win just because it won WGA, which is usually a big um, indicator for that sort of thing. But again, if they're going to try and spread it around and they think that Promising Young Woman's going to pick up something somewhere else, that could be trial. But I do think trial is probably going to have a better shot of winning another award than Promising Young Woman might. So they might just vote Promising Young Woman here. That's my prediction is that Emerald Fennell is going to win this one. Um, supporting Actress. I the, the acting categories this year are weird. Because there hasn't been, I think there's been one sweeper and that supporting actor that's won everything. Past couple of years have been kind of boring as an Oscar buff that a lot of the awards would just, every single award show, like last year, every single award shows, it was Joaquin Phoenix, Renee Zellweger, uh, Brad Pitt, Laura Dern. There was no surprise. There was no, you know, tension or anything. It was just the same four people every single time. This year, there's a lot of variety. I think Yoo Jung-yeon is going to win for Minari for supporting actress. But again, I'm going to say watch out for Maria Bakalova, because she showed up everywhere she shouldn't have. Borat did a little bit better than everyone was expecting. And a lot of the times they do like to give an award to an ingenue. And I don't think that that's going to happen in Best Actress. So they might want to do it here. I, My guess would be Yoo Jung-yeon, but again, watch out for Maria Bakalova. The only sweeper this year has been Daniel Kaluuya for Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. He's won everything. My favorite thing about the supporting actor category this year is that Jane Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are nominated in it. So somehow in the film, Judas and the Black Messiah, both Judas and the Black Messiah Messiah are supporting actors. I guess you could say the lead is maybe racism. Um, Uh, Sure. (laughs) uh, But I, I... Smart money's on Daniel Kaluuya, right? Like, there's almost no way he loses. He's won everything. I would say maybe watch out, because Sound of Metal did pretty well. Paul Racy might get the nod here just because Daniel is going to be nominated again in the future. Like, that's just going to happen. This is the second nomination. He's well-respected. People like him. They might say, well, let's, you know, enough people might say, well, let's vote for Paul Racy because this is a true supporting performance. He's never been nominated before. He's in his 60s. We don't know if he'll ever get here again. We'll show him some love. And there also might be a case that Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith split votes.
3: There might be a,
2: you know, people who like Judas and the Black Messiah who like both of them. Half of them might vote for Daniel Kaluuya. Half of them might vote for, uh, lakeith stanfield and that opens up the field for someone smart money might say that if it opens up the fields for sasha baron cohen but i like to live on the edge and say it's paul racing
4: i was gonna uh, say i think sasha baron cohen is is low-key my favorite performance of this year in 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 a uh, trial of the chicago seven
2: i liked him in tri- I so my thing is with that movie is like i haven't watched it since the first came out and i feel like my feelings about it were sort of hampered by the ending that i thought was oh. absolutely Awful. Michael
4: complained incessantly about the <laughs> ending, which was terrible. It's
2: so, so, like, baity
4: that I just, I can't... It's so campy it, it, and bad. I mean, it's very Sorkin-y, right? Yes. It's very
2: sorkin If it even just took the music away, it would be better. <laughs> but the music kills it. So, like, I, I feel like I should probably rewatch it, but there's other films that I also want to rewatch, so we'll see where my time gets allotted. Um, Best Actress is the Craziest Race of the Year. I will say that. This is absolutely insane um this is essentially essentially the 2007 supporting actress campaign all over again in that there hasn't been a single person who's won more than one precursor so your big awards you've got Andre Day won the globe um Carrie Mulligan won critics choice Viola Davis won sag Frances McDormand won BAFTA I have no clue who's going to win. I genuinely (laughs) don't. I won't pretend that I will because I think that if I do do that and I, you know, that's just dumb. No one knows. There's absolutely no one who knows exactly what's going to happen. My head still says Carrie Mulligan. I still say, okay, my head says, yeah, she's never won before. She's kind of overdue. People love her in the industry. You know, she's, she was nominated like 12 years ago and never got nominated again. And now this is it. The movie's well liked. Um, Frances McDormand, Viola Davis eh, have already won before. Vanessa Kirby, this is her first nomination. She Her film isn't nominated for anything else, so it's just sort of a gimme. Same thing with Andre Day. Carey Mulligan is probably smart money. My gut has said since I saw Nomadland that Frances McDormand is going to win her third Oscar. And I don't know why I think that, but she just won the BAFTA, and there's a lot of crossover there. So I could very well be right. And I usually fill out my ballot day of, so Sunday I'm going to fill out my ballot I might check off Frances McDormand as who I think it's going to be. Just that's my gut here. Watch out for Viola Davis. She could have history on her side there because she would be only the second black woman to ever win that award. She's the most nominated black woman in, like, black actress in Oscar history with a whopping four nominations. Um, But yeah, this Dealer's Choice, you got to go with what you think is going to win. I have no clue, but... I, you know, that's just what's going to happen. It's a very fun
4: category though, such a yeah. good field.
2: Ugh. It's it's a great field and the fun thing is with the Oscars every year, I don't know if it's going to change this year because they have new producers who are trying different stuff this year, which most of what they said I genuinely love as ideas. They're going to try and make it more movie-like. They're going to um they're they're basically they're focusing more on letting people say what they want to say in their acceptance speech, which is always my favorite part. Um but I usually the order of the awards too is Best Actress is the second to last Oscar of the night. So if they keep the order they usually do, we could be going into, you know, 11 o'clock at night having no clue who's going to win this damn category. Yep. It absolutely. It's so much fun. Uh, best Actor this year, Smart Money's on Chadwick Boseman. I, have, I just read an article before from Variety that said that some people in the Academy are voting for Anthony Hopkins thinking that Chadwick Boseman's going to win and they're just going to vote for him, for, for Anthony Hopkins. And if enough people do that, it could swing to Anthony Hopkins. I liked The Father. I didn't love it. I thought he was great in it, but I didn't love the film as a whole. So, I, again, any of them could win. I do think it's going to be Chadwick Boseman, though. Because how cruel would it be if they do the, they're doing the in-person award ceremony at Union Station and Chadwick Boseman's widow gets all dressed up and goes there, and she's had to give tearful acceptance speech after tearful acceptance speech this entire season, and then they read Best Actor, and it's not Chadwick Boseman.
3: Right, right. Um,
2: that would be absolutely crushing.
4: I feel like I he kind I- of has it on his side here. The the Yeah, you and know.
2: I, I think, I don't want to say that he's winning it because he's dead, because he's not. I think even if he hadn't passed away, I think he would have been in heavy contention. I don't think it would have been as much of a lock. I think Anthony Hopkins and Riz Ahmed probably would have posed more significant threats. But I do think that his career, his status in the industry, um, having been in a Best Picture nominee two years ago, I think he probably still would have been in the lead to win this award. But I think that people you can't say no to that. You can't, you know, it, Heath Ledger won. Peter Finch won. They were undeniable performances that also had someone who hadn't been honored before.
4: Right. And I think like I've so I haven't seen The Father, so I can't I can't judge that. But The Sound of Metal was really good and his performance was fantastic in it. But Chadwick Boseman just had the more dramatic performance like I don't exactly. know how to describe it. The uh, the the more Oscar-y, <laughs> yeah.
2: Look, you can, I, I, I like to watch movies, and I like to say, "Okay, here's the Oscar clip," because they always have the Oscar clip that's like some big scene in the film. And so I like to watch it. And be like, "Where's the Oscar clip?" The thing is, with Chadwick Boseman, is I don't know what the Oscar clip is because they're all Oscar clips. Yeah, the it's literally a movie full Oscar of Oscar clips
4: <laughs> for both him and Viola Davis. Oh yeah, there's, the whole there's,
2: thing. there's no yeah, um, best director. I do think that a woman is going to win again this year. And I go, this is the other sweeper of the year. Chloe Zhao has literally not won a single, lost a single award. She has won every single award. And coming into this year, people thought David Fincher was going to win because he's overdue. You know, Chloe Zhao would just be an honor to be nominated. She has won pretty much every critics prize. She has won every single televised award. She's won every guild award this is Chloe Zhao's. Chloe Zhao is going to be the second woman to ever win Best Director. And Which she will be, be very neat. exciting. Yes. I. So here's a recommendation. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I'll check. Her film before this called The Rider. If you like Nomadland, you're going to like The Rider. I loved the, the Rider. It's actually, it looks like it's on it's on Pluto TV for free. So if you want to watch it, it's there. Um, I went back and looked because I knew when I watched it, I saw it in the theater and I wrote like a little letterboxed review. Mm-hmm afterwards, and I went back and read it because I wanted to see what I said about it, um, and I said I think something to the effect of Chloe Zhao is a new master of, of cinema, and we're just not ready for it yet. And that was three years ago. Yep. And here's so I, was, I was on the ball with that one. Um, and then again, best picture, I think it's going to be Nomadland, which is fun because if Nomadland wins, obviously it's, a, it's the second Film ever directed by a woman to win Best Picture. Um, But also, Frances McDormand makes Oscar history because she will be the first woman to ever win for acting and for producing a film. Not even in like, you know, the same year, just in general. No woman who has ever won both for producing and acting in a film. Several men have done that.
4: Very cool. This is very this is like I, I agree with you, Grace, and I'm not even like a super like steeped in movies movie person. But like anyone who said that this wasn't a good year for movies is wrong. <laughs> like I I watched a bunch of movies I loved this year and like probably more than a lot of recent years before this. Um, Yeah, it was great. And, and you know, streaming services almost make it in a way like even though like COVID affected the the ability to see movies in theaters the streaming services almost made it like more accessible to, for people to just like see all the oscar nominated films yeah. like at once
2: because a lot of these, a lot of these um, like distributors, not only did they, you know, you had a lot of streamers in the awards hunt, and a lot of them gave their movies to streamers to sort of stream on their platforms. You also have a lot of these films adopting a PVOD, which is um, premium video on demand, which basically means when they would release the film at the same time, they'd put it at twenty dollars on to rent on on a- Apple or whatever, wherever you rent your films from. So it was able for you to for a little bit more than your average movie ticket price to watch the movie at home and yeah. that was very interesting now I'm a big as wants to be a filmmaker I'm a very big person on the theatrical experience so I don't I don't love the idea of what HBO Max did where they were like day and date you can stream it like in a in a regular world right now with COVID I'm fine with it but like in a regular world where there's no COVID and we can go to the movie theater and it's fine in like a year or two I don't like the idea of doing it at the same exact time just because that's how you start killing movie theaters But I do think that the window needs to be shortened because the window prior was 90 days. I think that if you cut that in half, which I think a lot of them are talking about doing now, 45 days. So that's what, seven weeks, six weeks after a film comes out on in the theater. You can stream it online, you know, pay six dollars to rent it or whatever. I think that's a good idea. I think you're going to start making films a lot more, more accessible that way. I think there's a middle ground that needs to be hit here.
4: I agree. I agree with that. Um... Before we move on to Walk Off Wins, um, since we're having a film segment here, I think we would be amiss if we did not all talk about our favorite baseball films. Um, so, Grace, what is your favorite baseball film of all time?
2: Okay, I'm a big um, baseball movie dork. Uh, I cry at pretty much all of them. That's just the thing that happens. It's when the camera sweeps over the field. Um, it's just the green of the grass. It makes me think of, like, baseball, and I'd cry. Um, My favorite all time is A League of Their Own. Yeah! I think I went back and looked. You know, the movies I knew I saw when I was a kid, that was the first movie I ever saw that was directed by a woman, too. And that was a movie that made me feel like I could do anything. I do have a little list here of other baseball films I like, and I'm just going to read them out. And, you know, I'm sure you guys love some of them, too, so we can talk about them then. But Moneyball, Field of Dreams, The Bad News Bears, Major League, Bull Durham, uh, 42, I just rewatched, starring the oh, late, so wonderful good. Chadwick Boseman. Um, the Natural, obviously The Sandlot. I'm actually, you can't see it, but I'm wearing a Sandlot shirt right now, covered Heck in yeah. camp. Uh, the uh, The Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings is a good underrated one. Uh, Pride of the Yankees about Lou Gehrig, Eight Men Out, 61. Uh, and then two documentaries I loved, uh, Ken Burns Baseball. Uh, yeah. Anyone who knows me love, knows I love Ken Burns. Absolutely love the man. Uh, and then an underseen one that came out about two years ago, I believe, Heading Home, The Tale of Team Israel, which is about the 2017 Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. And it does feature former Met, Ty Kelly, uh, and it's great. So that's that's a selection of some of my favorite baseball movies.
4: Heck yeah.
3: Um, Linda, what's your favorite baseball movie ever? Uh, well, I I guess it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. But Major yeah. League. I think this Major League was like the first baseball movie I ever saw. Um, so I think like Major League just always holds <laughs> a special place in my heart. And I just want I want one reliever to come into wild thing. Like this, like how has no uh, reliever done this?
2: There is a reliever who does it. It's James Karanchek for the Indians and um uh, he's an anti-vaxxer. So no. <laughs> <Please> <laughs> Which is very it. that's a very wild thing. Thing to do is to be like I'm not getting this. Like that's Charlie Sheen would say that. Yes, he totally. It's true. It.
3: <laughs> he is. Charlie He's just Sheen. really deep into character, James Karenchak. Yeah. Well, and also like when David Wright came back, he had Joe Boo in his locker. Like you know, it's just it's timeless. Just about bit um, outside. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, what's uh, Bob Euchre is just incredible. In, in the movie, um, like he makes the movie, um, so yeah, but then 42, I it was on HBO one night when I still lived at home, and it was way too late, and I shouldn't have been watching it, and I shouldn't have been watching it through at bedtime, and I just kept crying and crying. I was like, this was a mistake, but <laughs> Chadwick Boseman was just so good in it, and yeah, he had just he had he had so much left to give, and it just it sucks on so many levels. Um, but yeah, and, and on the can I say the Simpsons baseball yes, episode? Yes, you definitely can. Of course, you can. <laughs> Mattingly, I thought I told you to shave those, side those sideburns.
0: <laughs> get off, get off my team! <laughs> all right, I have to interrupt this for a second. Rojas just got ejected. Oh, Uh-oh. oh dear. This game has been a nightmare for around. for called strikes and balls and oh my god sorry okay
3: yeah but um, <laughs> uh, and um I was reading a Simpsons book that I ordered for the library and they were saying that episode would kind of like validated them because after that they realized they could get any guest star that they wanted since they got like these nine like, giant, like, baseball players at the time. Like, Frederick Clemens, Ken Griffey Jr., Daryl Strawberry, like... When Daryl Strawberry just has the single tear. Yeah, Daryl! Oh. Daryl!
2: That episode is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. It
3: is And they did a documentary on it. Um It was, like, a mockumentary, and... They got, like, Jill Buck, Bob Costas, and they were like, Mr. Burns was ahead of his time. He called for the lefty to face the lefty, and (laughs) it was hysterical. Like, they were actually really good at it, and it was called Springfield of Dreams, and I can't find, can't find it anywhere, because it was so, because then, I know de Blasio is de Blasio, but he had a cameo in it and they asked about Steve Sachs and like being wanted for murder. And he was like, all I can say is the investigation is ongoing. <laughs> so like, it was just, it was so good. And I don't even think, Oh, Ken Griffey Jr. I think only has one line in it. And it, it, it like, you know, I was live tweeting, um, a part of their own the game the other day and I was like I need to tweet something and I was doing all Simpsons themes I was like the episode is so rich I was like they give me something you need to win so I can tweet it <laughs> and they finally did so I think I know it's not a movie but baseball wise and like the, the them song is just so nostalgic they're talking softball like I know it's like I think Talking Baseball is a real song that they got these people to do, but it's just, it's like what you think of when you hear, like, classic baseball music. I I forgot to shout out, um, uh, if we're, you know, we talked about an episode television show, what
2: about the best baseball scene of all time, which is, of course, the scene in Twilight where they play baseball? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, That is iconic that rewrote the the, that should be in the next inning of ken burns baseball yes absolutely (laughs) like it doesn't start with the screwed up perfect game or the cubs or anything like that it starts with the twilight baseball scene starts with twilight baseball scene i'm on board with that um
4: (laughs) kellyanne do you have a favorite baseball movie
0: okay so i am nowhere close to a movie buff um I have seen only four baseball films which actually is probably more than most other genres I have seen. Um so I'm going to just go back in chronological order cuz my um favorite is at the end. So I've seen 42, Moneyball, The Natural, and probably my favorite cuz it's it's just a little silly but I love it because Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly are both in it. Oh. Take Me Out to the Ball Game. I like "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," but it
2: also has one of the world's like weirdest songs in it, where they're like singing about
0: underage girls, and yes. that's a weird vibe in the film. It, it's like the the film has like silly vibes all over the place. But I just like Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra doing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," and there's another number uh, I can't remember what it's called, but I just really like that film. Just because Frank have- Sinatra and Gene
2: Kelly. Can I have confirmation that you've never seen a leak of their own?
4: Yeah, I'm I giving you not. homework. Excuse me? <laughs> I'm giving you homework. You can't be on this podcast, and I've seen okay.
0: the, the, the movie true. that it is named after. <laughs> Excuse well, me. Well, I was going to say, there are so many famous movies that I have not seen. Like, you guys are talking about all these Oscar films, and I'm like, I have not seen one of these films. you the only- right. <laughs> I was going to say, the last film I saw in the theaters was Rise of, The Rise of Skywalker. Probably the only new movie I watched this year was La Vida Davanti a I uh, which is The Life Ahead with Sophia Loren. Um, and I'm Back just and like... Best Song. Yeah, it's better win Best Song. Ah! Well, yeah, so I I win best song. That song is so service good. Service I
3: don't think song. it's going like, to win Where, best where do service? I find these movies? Great. On all the streaming
0: services. I don't even oh, tell but me that. I don't have any. <laughs> I, d- I,
2: I don't uh, think it's going to win Best Song. I like... Could it? Yes. Do I want it to? Actually, yes. I want to see Diane Warren finally win for once it's in her life. Such a freaking good song. But like, you have so "Speak Now" is like the easy choice. That's like kind of like your typical Oscar song winner. I kind of feel like it might be the song from <laughs> "Judas and the Black Messiah." I Listen to her.
0: Oh yeah, that was. Haven't good. listened to that one I... because
2: like, her just keeps winning these awards that no one's expecting her to, and I'm into it. Like, I love her, but like, I feel like she's just gonna swoop it and take this one.
0: But um Don't even tell me that. I'm I mean, so like- mad that you guys,
4: I've I've only seen a lot of these movies because I like I I live with a a movie buff now and I grew up with a movie buff. So it's I think if it wasn't for the influence of my dad and Michael, I would not be have seen nearly as many movies as I have and I haven't seen that many. It's just I usually like see the Oscar contenders every year and that's like almost it. Like I don't actually venture that far out of like critically acclaimed films. <laughs> really
0: um but f- find me a streaming platform that a league of their own is on and i will watch it i
4: own the dvd so i will literally next time that we see each other i will literally bring it with me and force you to watch it i have it on dvd <laughs> that might be like on like HBO max. Oh, okay is thank it you. on hbo max fantastic yeah <laughs> okay that's it thank
0: you there You'll you go. Yeah, you have to.
4: <laughs> now you have no choice. Um all right. so I yeah, I mean I'm going to be very stereotypical here. My favorite baseball film of all time is A League of Their Own and it is one of oh. my like top 5 movies, period. Um so yes, by far. Um but Ada,
2: I just want to tease a little bit. Since we're talking about baseball films, it is also one of the favorite baseball films of a current reliever on the New York Mets. Ah,
4: oh, yes. Yes, we will. We will get to. We will get to exactly what Grace is teasing in a moment. Um, but that is such a good. That's such a good tease for that. That um, is so yeah um a league of their own is my is one of my favorite films of all time not just not just baseball but period um so that's my favorite but i will also shout a couple of other faves of mine i love bad news bears and i love the sandlot those are like two other like those are kind of my baseball trifecta i think um But Grace talked about baseball documentaries, and that made me think of another like low key, really good baseball documentary that I highly recommend if you have not seen it is The Battered Bastards of Baseball. It came out in roughly 20, I think it came out in 2014. or so. I know I was in grad school when it came out, and I watched it when I was in grad school. Um, but it's so good. It's basically about um, uh, the when the famous Hollywood actor Bing Russell um, started the only Indie League team in America at the time, so it's about how like Bing Russell basically helped found Indie League Baseball. Um, and I think that it's a, it's like kind of a timely film now with, you know, the way that major league baseball is kind of killing the minor leagues and killing the indie, indie leagues to celebrate indie league baseball and its traditions. Um, and the battered bastards of baseball is such a great story. Um, and I highly recommend it. So if you haven't seen that, uh, documentary, I recommend it. So that'll be my, my entry into the, the baseball documentary category
3: along Does with Canada. Does count as a documentary? I mean, yes. <laughs> That was um, really good, even though really, we know how really it turns good. out now, and it's not a happy ending. But see,
0: I see. To me, like I, I know the World Series we didn't win, but still, it was such a happy year. I loved the journey there. Um, oh yeah. And
3: even,
0: I mean, it's it sucks that we didn't world that we didn't win the World Series, but. I still enjoyed that season so freaking much.
3: It just, it sucks because David Wright and Matt Harvey didn't get their happy endings.
0: Yeah. Yes.
3: Another. Like, I can deal with them losing the World Series, like, fine. Like, it sucks, but I can deal with it. But those two, and Cespedes, too, like, everything that happens after that is what sucks. Another yeah. baseball
4: documentary that features the Mets in a more indirect way is Knuckleball, um, which is a really good baseball documentary about knuckleballs. <laughs> and, um, and I
0: believe that's on Netflix. I think it is. Um, so
4: heavily features R.A. Dickey, obviously. Um, and Robert uh, Allen. And his time with the Mets. So, yeah, that's another one I recommend. It's good.
2: Uh Before we move on, I just want to say in terms of baseball documentaries, obviously I mentioned Ken Burns Baseball. Um, When the Blu-ray comes out, I'm going to find the official timestamps. When you watch the 10th inning of Ken Burns Baseball, uh, there are two photographs that my grandfather is actually in.
4: That's awesome. That
2: is so cool. He worked for the commissioner of baseball. He was like his head of security whatever. So there's two photos during like the Pete Rose segment with Faye Vincent, where you can see my grandfather clearly on camera, like in the picture. That is so
4: cool. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so before we do Walk Off wins, Grace alluded to this, and so we're gonna, we're gonna mention it. Um, you should look in your podcast feeds on Friday for a very special Amazing Avenue in conversation featuring Grace and a certain Mets reliever who is himself very into movies, we have heard.
2: (laughs) Woo! And I also want to, I, I don't know if this is okay for me to tease, but, um, that might not be the last time I talk to uh, people related to the Mets about movies. Yes. So that was just something today. I'm not going to say anything more about that, but that is that might not be the last time you hear my voice over your earbuds. Hell
4: Ooh. yeah. So cool. more movie content from grace coming your way and various yeah. various <laughs> mets and mets adjacent people potentially um <laughs> but we will finish the show like we do every week with walk-off wins where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week baseball related or otherwise uh, otherwise wow speaking um, other ways other ways or other ways um grace carbone what is your walk-off win
2: uh well we already covered the oscars which is my super bowl um, so this is a big week for me, but also it just came out today officially, but I did get the, the, uh, pre, like the early release playing of it. Uh, MLB, the show 21 just yes. came out, um, which the deluxe edition features my favorite baseball player of all time, Jackie Robinson on the cover. And I've been having a lot of fun and wasting a lot of time playing that game. So that's, that's my, my walk-off win this week is in fact a probable walk-off win in one of the games I play
4: heck yes um kellyanne healy what is your walk-off win for this week
0: dear god i don't even know um i'm fully vaccinated now yay team pfizer um moderna mafia,
3: moderna mafia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i had a very productive week at work we'll go with that one i planned Good. out most of the summer programs i feel like i said this like a week or two ago um but yeah, I'm looking forward to the summer programs at my library. Awesome. Zuh.
4: <laughs> and I should mention, I'm J and J crew, so we have every single major vac- vaccine represented on this podcast today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't advertise that as often uh, as usual anymore, but it's okay. J and J will go. J and J will return to its former glory, um, eventually. <laughs>
0: you um, say, well, I um, just show off my Pfizer elitism. Yes.
4: Yes the elitist vaccine um yeah linda surovich <laughs> what is your walk-off win for this week
3: my walk-off win is also that i'm part of the Moderna mafia <laughs> 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 well because i got my second shot so I'm, I'm like fully vaxed now and i had such anxiety going into it like my stomach was in odds and You know, I just didn't know how I was going to react to it, and I just kept drinking water beforehand, like, finish one bottle, pick up another one, pick up Gatorade, and it really wasn't bad, like, I just had, like, a few night sweats, my arms still killing me, but you know what, it's totally worth it, like, I'm, I'm just waiting... I'm waiting for May Mets tickets to go on sale because I was like, Oh, I can actually go now. Like pull out my, like pull out my vaccination card. Like you have to let me in now. You can't, you can't keep me out anymore. So, you know, and like, um, my sister went today, so she got her second shot. She's fully vaccinated. We're, you know, in two weeks when the antibodies build up, but, um, She said she almost cried because the person giving her her vaccine said, summer 2021, here you come. That's awesome. And she was like, oh, my God, you're right. I can do stuff again. So it's just nice knowing, you know, you know, it's not going to be normal, but at least, you know, you can make plans again. And that's Mets put eight tickets on sale. I'm just waiting.
4: I literally have the the June uh, Mets-Orioles game at Camden Yards circled on my calendar, literally. Oh, yes, you have to go. Oh, that's happening, 100%. And if Matt Harvey isn't pitching, I'll cry. Um, oh, no. Is that, it only
3: a two-game series? It's only a two-game series. Oh.
4: Um And so my walk-off win for this week, I mean, I guess I, guess I should also mention that I uh will be fully officially fully vaccinated like two weeks out for my shot literally as you hear this podcast because tomorrow i will be fully vaccinated um which is very exciting um but my actual walk-off win is that my cousin's wife had her baby so we have a new baby in the family boy or girl a girl named ella florence um her middle name is after my late grandmother uh, and so, so I was, nice. I was so happy to see that they, they honored my grandma with her name. I mean, my cousin, and my grandma were always super close, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, but it's, it's awesome. Uh, I'm, we're very excited and I'm very excited that I will be fully vaccinated so I can potentially go visit the the new little, little baby. So
3: yay! yay! that's, my that's exciting.
4: Yes. Um, so that does it for the show this week. Um, you should check all of our content out on AmazingAvenue We're doing all the game recaps, which frequently feature double headers now. Um, so just like all the game recaps, all the content we're doing. I'm doing the. I've brought back the player meter series, so that goes up every Monday. Um, that was some. That was another like feature that we used to do the, before COVID, and kind of like went away during the weird COVID season. That I've okay. Oh, tell again?
3: a little, fun little story about my first recap of the year. Yes, please. Please do my first free cap of the year was Sunday. Um, Marcus Stroman's game, and of course, I yeah, it was tense the whole time because it's a two to one game in course, like, no lead is safe. Like, come on, guys! So, the game got over around six o'clock, which is Maddie's dinner time. And literally, I, I saw her get up because she was sleeping, and right at six o'clock, she gets up, like, okay, come on, let's go, dinner time. And right as McCann is throwing the ball the second she runs across my keyboard <laughs> and, like, just starts writing things in my... in my uh, recap, I was like, no! So, like, just the worst absolute timing. So I had to, like, click-delete everything that I didn't know if it was out, if he was safe, and I had to, like, get her off the keyboard. So... It was just like this comedy of errors (laughs) for my very first (laughs) recap of the game, but at least I got to recap a win, so. There you go. (laughs) I also got to recap a win. Yeah, don't recap like, Don't end the game at Maddie's dinner time next time. I'm begging.
4: (laughs) Yes. Please take Maddie's dinner time into account. That's
3: where we're begging. (laughs) Yeah. Help help us out.
4: (laughs) But yeah, we have have game recaps going up every day for you guys. We've got the Player Meter series. Um, Chris McShane is doing a series where he follows Jacob DeGrom's every start because why wouldn't you? Um, So we've got all the content for you guys um at dot com, you can follow the site on all the social medias facebook twitter instagram at amazing avenue grace carbone where can people find you on the internet
2: um od guitar is usually my name on everything so at od guitar on uh twitter and if you're so inclined if you're a film buff like me and you have letterboxd i'm also od guitar on there
4: heck yeah Um, You can follow Grace on Twitter and see her work over at AmazonAvenue.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at A Pot of Their Own. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at petite PhD. Where are you, Linda?
3: At Linda Surovich.
4: And you, Kellyanne? At L-R-B-E-L-L-A-R-E-B-E-E. And you should subscribe to the podcast, Amazing Avenue Audio, wherever you get your podcasts from. Like we said, very important to subscribe this week because a very important episode will be dropping on Friday um, featuring our very own Grace. Um, So you should subscribe, rate and review the show. It really helps people find it. The original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasting.